Hello, listeners to Theo Now. This is your host, Andrew Crabtree. I just wanted to speak with you a little bit before the episode gets started and uh, to apologize to you that it's been so long since we've released uh, any episodes. As many of you know, I'm a seminarian for the Roman Catholic Church, studying to become a diocesan priest, and uh, a lot of times uh, that can get pretty hectic. Um, And this past year with COVID um, and the pandemic and all the situations and the isolation, uh, it's been pretty tough for not only me, but many other people. Um, And I don't really have a good excuse, but I'm going to use that as my excuse uh, for not pushing forward with this podcast. But um, I'm going to be slowly releasing more material, starting with this episode. Uh, Pastor Daryl Simbeck of Athens, Tennessee, Ascension Life Church. Um, A fantastic conversation that we had during the summer of 2020, right when that uh, pandemic was hitting heavy and hard. So I want you all to uh, take a listen to this. Let me know what you think about it. And thank you once again for listening to Theo Now. Welcome to Theo Now. The church has always taught that there's common ground. In religions, there are seeds of the gospel, there are elements of truth. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Theo Now. My name is Andrew Crabtree, and I am a Roman Catholic seminarian for the Diocese of Knoxville in the great state of Tennessee. Joining me today is Pastor Daryl Simbeck. Welcome, Pastor. Thank you for being here with me. Thank you, Drew. It's good to be here, uh, to be uh, with you and having this discussion. Absolutely. Well, Pastor, I just want to ask, who are you and what do you do? Well, first of all, you don't have to call me Pastor, okay? okay. Call me Daryl. Is that okay? That's fine. Is that Absolutely. Fair? Is that all right? Um, uh, well, again, my name is Daryl Simbeck, and I pastor Ascension Life Church uh, in Athens, Tennessee. And I've been doing that roughly... Uh, 22, 23 years now. Wow. But uh, but anyway, yeah, wow. Pastor Ascension Life in Athens, Tennessee. I love it, Ascension Life. So tell me about the church a little bit. Um, how did that start? Did you start that, or did you come in as a pastor secondarily? What uh, what happened there? Okay. Um, try to keep a, a long story short, for oh, sure. Yeah, whatever. About 22 years ago, it was 2001. 2001, is that 20? Uh, no, that's about 18 years ago. Mm. Let's, let's get my math right here. Because, <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're getting ready to do our 20th. Anyway, I, Julie and I had been associate pastors at another church in Madisonville, Tennessee, okay. that uh, uh, ended up, uh, we ended up going in different directions, leaving the church, mm. and then just trying to figure out what we were going to do, what direction we needed to go in. Do we need to go to another church, find another church to attend, so forth? Um, we just couldn't really find anything where we felt led to go, where we, a church that we were that we were comfortable with, and through prayer, just felt like God said we just needed to start a Bible study with some some mutual friends, and yeah. which we did, and uh, the Bible study started to grow. People, yeah. other people started to attend. Next thing you know, we're actually having church in our basement. Oh, really? Um, and people started calling it church, and we were going, no, it's not church. We're just having a Bible study. Um, and 
Next thing you know, uh, we went ahead and said, okay, I guess we need to just, we need to call it a church. So oh, yeah, right. we're having church. Let's just get on it. Let's be honest. And uh, so uh, uh, we started saying, yep, it, we're having church. It is a church. And uh, then we came up with uh, some elders, came up mm-hmm. with a name, the name Ascension Life. At the time, it was Ascension, it was Ascension Life Fellowship. Okay. Um, and uh, so we got all that in order. We got, uh, you know, came up with a statement of faith, bylaws and all that. Yeah. Um, and uh, we were growing. And with that, uh, we had neighbors saying too too many cars in the neighborhood were filling up the street. <laughs> so we found a we found a uh, uh, a storefront in downtown Madisonville. Moved to that, okay. Um, and then we were there for about six months, and then uh, from there we came to Athens to another storefront. Yeah. Uh, so that worked really well, but uh, but basically uh, the kind of church uh, our as far as our. Uh, beliefs and practices mm-hmm. you know we're very much a pentecostal charismatic type church we're not affiliated with any denomination okay uh specifically we're a non-denominational church but okay. uh but most of our beliefs and practices obviously are pentecostal charismatic okay in, in that sense yeah so you started in madisonville moved to athens and you're still in athens now right just in a different location we're we're we're, uh, we're still in athens we're in a different location we now have uh, you know, we've been in this, the building we're in, we built, we've been in okay. that building roughly 10 years now. Wow. So we were able to move from the storefront to a brand, uh, you know, a brand new, uh, newly built building. Yeah. So you grew. Uh, so how big, how big is the church now? How many people usually, I know we're in a kind of a weird time or recording yeah. this right now in the middle of a pandemic. Um, but how many people usually show up on a, uh, on a normal Sunday, do you think? As, as, as far as the church directory goes, mm-hmm. we have over 200. Wow. Uh, but um, before the pandemic hit mm-hmm. uh, and, and before we changed things up in the service, as far as seating and all that, mm-hmm. we were averaging roughly anywhere between 175, 195. Wow. That's uh, on a Sunday morning. That's really good. Yes. Wow. That's amazing. Great. And now since this pandemic has hit, you've I've noticed you've been doing a lot of um, online services. Yes. How has that transition been for you? Well, I'll be honest. Yeah, please. Of course, I'm older. Yeah. <laughs> and I was very reluctant. Yeah. Uh, at, at the very beginning. Um, I, I, I've always been uh, a little hesitant and uh, shy of any of the technical aspects. Mm. I mean, anything having to do with cell phones, whatever, obviously. Uh, I think most of us my age uh, tend to, you know, shy away from those things. Yeah. Very intimidating, but, uh, but, um, in one of the staff meetings we were having right after we shut down, uh, in the staff meeting, the discussion um, was basically, okay, where do, what do we do now? Where do we go from here? You know, what's our course of action and so forth? And um, our associate pastor, uh, Brian Miller, made a statement. He said that, you know, I still believe, you know, you gave a prophetic word at the beginning of the year, January, that 2020 was a year of taking the land. Mm-hmm. He said, I just didn't know it was going to be like this, even though I, he said, I still agree with the word. But when he said that, it just hit me right then and there that, uh, that the way that that word, that prophetic word was going to, the way it was supposed to play out was we're going to do it through live streaming. Hmm. So right, you know, in that meeting, I said, okay, guys, listen, what do we got to do to get us up to par? What do we got to do to, to, to get beyond just doing a cell phone type of recording or viewing things through yeah. Facebook or something like that. How can we get and, and, and come across a bit more professionally, mm. um, you know, for the, for our church, for our audience. So it's a little bit, 
you know, it's, it's more appealing mm. uh, and so forth. And so uh, we did what we needed to do. We came up with uh, the product we needed, spent the money we needed to spend to get it. And, yeah. and here we are today, what, 13, 14 weeks later. Mm. Um, and now we've got people viewing from all over the world, believe it or not. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> I love that. That's, yeah. that's powerful. That's, that's hard to do too. uh, switching over. I know, I mean, I'm a little bit younger than you and getting into the, you know, getting into the podcast world, getting into technology and, but you've been into music, which is pretty technically, uh, yes. you know, forward thinking, I guess. So, uh, I find it interesting that you had a hard time switching over into those kind of technical aspects, but that's great. I love it. I love what you're doing. Um, so around the area, I know that there are pastoral groups in the area. Have you been involved in any of those talking like groups with other faith, like the Methodist Presbyterian churches, Baptist churches, anything like that? Y yes, I have. Oh. And if we go back to probably the early two thousands, I actually started uh, an ecumenical group here in McMinn County. Oh, okay. I didn't know um, that. Wow. in fact, it had, our numbers had increased up to close to 20, um, wow. pastors, associate pastors, um, event, people who just basically went by the title of evangelist, mm -hmm. um, key people in the area, and and it just it was by invitation, and anyone you know, I mean, we we, we had some similar beliefs uh, mm -hmm. and, and and views and so forth, so that was part of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but we were meeting on a regular basis. We even actually put on uh, a couple of um, concerts, so to speak. They were actually praise and worship concerts. Okay, we had some speakers come in that spoke at, we did a, I don't know, I don't know if you were at any of those, but we, the, the big one we did out at the park, um, mm -hmm. back around 2006, 2008, somewhere in that area, mm -hmm. we had a lot of different churches, their worship okay. teams, their pastors were there, a pretty good, just pretty big gathering. So yeah, so that was going pretty good uh, for, for several years, and then it just kind of, unfortunately, the same thing that typically, I mean, the thing that typically happens when pastors get together once you start, once there's friction, it's hard to work yeah. through the friction, and it just kind of fizzled out. Yeah. Um, I have actually attended some of the uh, monthly ecumenical meetings that meet at the hospital. I haven't. It's been a while since I've been to one, but mm. I have been to several of those. Okay, yeah. But I don't attend regularly. Sure. Um, I would like to see something of that nature coming back together for this area. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, now, of course, I'm talking about locally. Um, I have been a part uh, as well on a more national, worldwide level. Mm. I was part of a, a, um, a movement called uh, the, uh, it was uh, locally, or in the state of Tennessee, it was called the Tennessee State Apostolic Council. Mm. But it was tied to uh, an apostolic movement that actually C. Peter Wagner, Dutch Sheets, um, Jim Gall, and some others were pretty much um, influential in that. Okay. So we were meeting like in Nashville, we were meeting in Birmingham, Alabama, we were meeting, um, oh, there were other places we were meeting. But that, again, that was like between 2003 and maybe 2010. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and that kind of fizzled out as well. Yeah. So um, regarding, let's take you back a little bit when you, you said uh, you were talking about the beginnings of your church um, and the beginning of what, yeah, what started to become and evolved into church. So what, when you first took that step to say, yes, this is a church and I'm the pastor of this church, how did that feel? Was that, were you nervous? Was it, did it become, to being a pastor, I know you said you were an associate pastor before, but when you became pastor, was that different than you expected in dealing with the people and dealing with the, 
you know what I mean? You were in charge of this group. Sure. You know, of this, of these, you're the pastor of this flock. Yeah. That's a good question. Um, well, again, I was reluctant to do it. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, <laughs> being, a, you know, accepting the position or taking the position of pastor, that's a big challenge. Mm. Comes with a lot of challenges. Um, but I think at the time and looking at, okay, wanting to have a certain kind of church, certain kind of atmosphere, and it just wasn't, we couldn't find it locally. I mean, it, there, there were churches in Knoxville and Chattanooga, obviously, that would have uh, would have uh, fit that criteria. But, but uh, just looking at the situation and, and feeling like, okay, <laughs> there's a need here, mm. and this is a desire that, that I have, that we have, and when I say we, my wife and I, and some of our closest friends that were gathering at the time. But, um, you know, it it, 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 it it was not easy uh, moving into that because there was that, okay, that kind of lone ranger intimidation factor because I didn't want to be the guy who's like, you know, doing his own thing. Mm. Um, and that's why when we first started, I immediately looked to a couple of guys that were mature, in my opinion, my estimation were mature Christians. Um, and um, in fact, one of them was a much older guy. Uh, you might have, uh, Sid Stetson, I don't know if you remember him. Oh, I remember the name, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, anyway. He's related to Justin Bush, is that right? J yes. JP? Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, indirectly. Okay. 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 Family-wise, not blood. Not, not a, blood. Not that's a blood right. Relative. That's right. That's right. Yeah. But, uh, but very much, was very much a close yeah. part of that family. Um, and, and gosh, much older man, but he had such wisdom. He was part of a, um, of an apostolic, uh, network at the time that was, uh, and I think that, I think it's still in place. It was called, um, uh, master builders mm -hmm. and uh, lots of churches that were a part of this network all mm -hmm. across the world. Uh, he was also a part of a uh, full men's gospel, uh, the, the full men's gospel meeting or whatever, I, whatever that name is, <laughs> but it was big in the seventies, Okay, big in the seventies and eighties. And, and so he was very much a part of that. And he was high up in that, in the beginning stages of that, uh, that particular ministry and making it happen. So what he brought to the table was um, he had uh, experience, he had wisdom, he had know-how knowledge mm -hmm. on how to start a church. So that was very helpful in the very beginning because I had no clue whatsoever yeah. in starting a church from ground level. Yeah. Um, so he became an elder and I had another person that we made elders. So, we, so I definitely worked with them uh, closely in decision-making and and how to move forward and things of that nature. So yeah. it wasn't like it was a lone ranger kind of thing. Yeah. I, from the very beginning, I tried to put everything in place that would protect and have those parameters. Hmm. So, uh, you know, we could do it uh, the best way we could and trying to be right in that. Well, you've used uh, a few times, you've used the term apostolic. You said apostolic, network apostolic, this, this, and this. And uh, can you explain what you mean by apostolic? Because sure. I think, you know, coming from a Catholic uh, perspective, it's a little bit different than I think what you're talking about. So, well, that and again, that's another good question because even in the Protestant world or the evangelical world, right. there's a lot of controversy over the use of those terms. Yeah. Um, for example, I'm I'm doing a paper right now where I'm actually challenging a lot of John MacArthur's uh, polemics. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there's a lot of his uh, uh, 
theological views that, in fact, his criticisms that he has of the Pentecostal charismatic uh, mm-hmm. movement. But, uh, but uh, I guess the, the best way to explain it, you know, it's it's more of the those who are in senior leadership, those who have more of a um, an oversight kind of ministry, uh, a church planting, church building, building from the ground level up. Um, obviously, that those who fit that um, who who fit that label, so to speak, are. I mean, it's definitely. I believe personally believe that there's anointing that comes with that. I, I totally believe in the Ephesians four eleven. Uh, fivefold ministries of apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers that all, I believe, personally believe that uh, for the church to fully mature today that those five anointings need to be functioning uh, within the church. And of course, that's on different levels. If we're talking denominationally, you're going to have those functioning denominationally. If it's uh, in the local church, they're going to be folks uh, functioning uh, in the local church. So I, I I look at these anointing as apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists um, as being functioning gifts in uh, the church body, whether it's local, whether it's uh, on a more um, denominational level. Uh, but typically, as far as the apostle goes, is that the person who is the apostle is kind of like, uh, here's an analogy. It's like the flagship, uh, it's like the admiral of a flagship. Mm. You know, so that that's probably the best way to put it in, okay. in, in, in in those kind of terms. Yeah. So the function he's going to have, he's going to be given directives, and right. you know, he sees the big picture. And there's subsidiaries underneath him. Yes. That type of thing. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I see that. Okay. Well, um, what is exactly is the charismatic movement you mentioned earlier that you, the churches sort of came out of the idea of Pentecostal charismatic. Um, theology. Sure. So what 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 exactly is the charismatic movement? Well. I know it's a another long good, story. Yes, but. it is. Uh, and, it's, and it's another good question, but it's an important question yeah. because obviously that's what we would mostly identify with or be categorized as. Okay. Um, and by the way, I'm working, my doctoral degree is in renewal theology, which pretty much is an emphasis and focus on uh, the beliefs and practices of, Pentecost, of, of Pentecostals and Pentecostal charismatics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's a long story. Mm-hmm. You know, Basically, as far as the term goes, and there's different groups. There's the classical Pentecostals um, going back to, uh, actually can even go prior to or before Azusa Street. But but for the most part, starting with Azusa Street, going back to early 1900s, you've got the Pentecostal movement with the different churches that broke, that, that, that came out of that. So what, what is Azusa Street? Okay, Azusa, for those who don't know. That's a good question. Uh, Azusa Street is the product of... Uh, where you had, which by the way, African-American, uh, William J. Seymour, uh, in the early 1900s, uh, was, uh, he believed in, you know, in reading the Bible and this and that, that the book of Acts was for today. And what you read in the book of Acts, that we can experience that for today. Plus, he had been at other places where he had set under some teaching that that was in pursuit of that as well. And and again, that's a whole other story. But, but, um, but he had ended up, uh, at Azusa Street in California, and they were in like a um, uh, what used to be it, where it was a stable, basically uh, an animal stable. Hmm. Ended up in this animal stable that was converted to a church. Well, you get me on my history now, um, <laughs> but uh, uh, but anyway, through a lot of prayer and seeking the Lord and asking for the same type of experiences and examples that 
they read about in the book of Acts. There was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Um, and as a result, all these people that were meeting there were beginning to um, manifest a lot of the same kind of things that were happening, like speaking in tongues. Um, people were getting healed. People were having, I mean, experiences in the sense of having visions and things like that. Uh, but probably the most significant aspect of it was just an incredible passion for God, for Jesus just being developed. And, and so people started coming from all over to attend those meetings, and that revival went for a number of years. Mm. But out of that came the Assemblies of God, came Church of God. Well, um, I, I don't know if Church of God, the Cleveland Church of God would be, actually be grouped in that. Mm. But I think they are today, but maybe not back then because Church of God traces its origins and beginnings to up here. Yeah, yeah, just right down Camp. the road here, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, but you've got Foursquare Gospel. You've got Church of God in uh, Christ. Um, so... Those are those are the, the denominations, uh, and I might have missed one that came out of the original Pentecostal movement. Mm -hmm. Of course, the Pentecostal movement is still into play, but but moving forward in time, uh, you had uh, you had the, the latter rain movement that started to develop with which embraced a little bit more of uh, miracles and signs and wonders. Uh, the faith healers were coming out of that. That was in the forties, uh, late thirties, forties, and fifties, I think. And then and then moving forward. Uh, the you have the charismatic uh, uh, outbreak, so to speak. I hate using the word outbreak, especially right <laughs> now with the pandemic. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so in the '60s, you, we, what happens is uh, traditional uh, church people. I think it started. I think the first person was in an Episcopal church, uh, experienced what they called the baptism of the Holy Spirit and, with the evidence of speaking in tongues, and then. Uh, and then it began to spread uh, in, in your uh, mainline traditional churches like Episcopal, uh, Anglican, uh, things like that. And, and significantly, I mean, in the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. Catholic Church has yeah. its own charismatic... The charismatic uh, renewals. Uh, in yeah. fact, going back to the, to the early 70s, the church I attended, even though I believe it was a major, it was a strong conservative Catholic church when mm -hmm. I was a kid... They did have some charismatic speakers who came, yeah. who spoke at that church. And what little I can remember, because I was very young, yeah. um, knowing what I know today, that those were charismatic services. Yeah. Um, but um, I actually just uh, went to my first when I, I was in Miami last summer, um, uh, working on a little bit of Spanish. And while I was down there, one of the churches we went to. Uh, had a charismatic renewal service uh, okay. that evening, and we actually took part in that to kind of experience it. For me, I'm like, oh, I'm used to this. There you uh, go. You know, I, uh, for those who don't know, I, I I am a convert, and one day I'll get into that and explain sure. all that to everybody. But um, yeah, it's like, oh, I'm right at home. But at some of my cradle Catholic friends who were there, I've never seen wider eyes. Yeah. They were shocked, but it was uh, it was a lot of fun. Sure, and yeah. and, and I would probably you know looking at. The first time I attended a uh, Pentecostal charismatic type church, uh, I was pretty wide eyed as well. Yeah. But uh, but anyway, so the '60s and '70s, you had the the the, the charismatic movement began, where uh, mainline churches like like uh, Episcopals, Anglicans, Presbyterian, uh, Catholic mm -hmm. uh, were were having that charismatic renewal. You use the term charismatic renewal, mm -hmm. absolutely. In other words they were embracing the gifts. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, there were a lot of Pentecostals that were like, huh, wait a minute, mm -hmm. <laughs> what's going on here? Because they had a hard time accepting that because of the kind of churches and um, 
uh, that were uh, allowing this to happen, but it was happening. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so uh, so we had the 60s and 70s with the charismatic movement, uh, and again, mainly limited to mainline traditional churches. Uh, but as we moved into the 80s, then I think they began to link the terms Pentecostal charismatic because now mm -hmm. it started to cross over. Uh, churches were beginning to be planted that were non-denominational, but basically were taken a little bit from the classical Pentecostal, uh, from the charismatic. You also had the vineyard movement and what today they call the third wave movement because it was more than just third wave, but uh, I mean more than just vineyard. But uh, in that, it was a little bit more flexibility on, on the actual um, uh, doctrinal aspects of Pentecostalism or the way the charismatics viewed things. In other words, a little bit more flexibility on spirit baptism, mm -hmm. uh, where with classical Pentecostals, spirit baptism or baptism in the Holy Spirit is, is a secondary work. You get saved, then you get baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Mm -hmm. um, charismatics were a little bit more flexible on that. Um, probably more, they were still good with the secondary experience because they were already in their, the way that they viewed things. You know, I'm, I'm a Christian mm -hmm. and how they looked at that, you know, whether it was Protestant terminology like salvation or Catholic terminology, uh, being a part of the church. Um, I don't know exactly how, um, Catholics view that terminology, sure, sure. but I do remember the the different sacraments. Mm -hmm. um, but um, but anyway, the Charismatics were a little. They, they I think for the most part, most uh, embraced that secondary experience, but they were a lot more flexible on whether tongues was an evidence or not. So that's kind of like the Catholic, okay. uh, Charismatics. The third wave, '80s going into the '90s, which I probably affiliate a little bit more with. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't know. I mean, I, I wasn't. I wasn't. I didn't, you know, I got saved the way that I uh, descri describe uh, salvation in 1995. But, mm -hmm. but 70, 70s and 80s, the Vineyard Movement, and again, um, John Wimber was the, the leader of that. But there were others. They were a lot, they, a, a lot of, in that movement, they viewed spirit baptism as, many viewed that, uh, viewed spirit baptism as being synonymous with salvation, okay. um, being baptized in the church, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um uh, and um, and so um, a lot more flexible on that issue, a lot more flexible on the gifts. And so today where we're at, I kind of uh, identify more with that. I kind of see the baptism of the Holy Spirit as being kind of synonymous when you're baptized into the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. In other words, that's where you become one with Christ mm -hmm. uh, in the Spirit. And then from there, uh, you can, as you uh, become aware of the gifts, you seek the gifts, uh, are you, you're able to operate in those gifts uh, as the Holy Spirit leads and, yeah. and so forth. Hmm. So then how does non-denominationalism kind of fall into that? You mentioned it a little bit about those being planted. So do you know, do you have any idea where that sort of stems from, the idea of separating out of denominations? You, you know... Um, or at least maybe for you and for why you yeah. chose to do that for your church. Well, I, I can... I, I First of all, I can say this, that I, I wish there was a better term mm -hmm. than non-denominational. I wish there was a better term. I, I, in fact, I loathe the term Protestant. Mm -hmm. I, I don't really like that at all. Um, and I think I think we're going into a season where we're going to begin to see a lot of new terms. Mm -hmm. um, even with the Pentecostal charismatic um, movement, which I'm a part of, um, there we're all over the place. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I mean, even when uh, population or 
uh, yeah, population statistics are taken. I mean, even Catholics that <laughs> are even counted now uh, in the Pentecostal charismatic movement. Hmm. I mean, Catholics that practice uh, the charismatic, you know, the practice of the gifts and so forth. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's so much crossing denominational lines now in so many ways. Um, so I can tell you this, 10 years ago, 10 plus years ago, I was not very ecumenical. Mm-hmm. I am very ecumenical now. Oh, I am all about the body of Christ as a whole working together, yeah. uh, coming together. So again, getting back to the question, non-denominational right now, if, you'll, you'll probably find this amusing. When we, set, when we sat around as a staff, and, and I've done it with the elders as well, trying to come up with information to put on our website and to describe the church. Yeah. We're all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> so what do we call it? Do we call it interdenominational? Do we call it non-denominational? We're not affiliated formally with any denomination. Right. In other words, we don't answer to the Methodists. We don't answer to Church of God. We don't answer to Assemblies of God. Mm. Um, you know, And who knows, we might be a denomination 30 years from now because we want to plant churches. We actually ha- already have, It's we got some, you know, God's, put some desires on our heart to look at different areas to plant some churches. So who knows? Ascension life might be a denomination <laughs> these days. So where's the charismatic movement now? Like where is it? What's going on in it? Yeah. What's what's changing? What's moving? Well, that that's kind of similar to what I just said. Yeah. It's definitely moving. It's yeah. without a doubt, Google, you can Google any church planting, church growth mm-hmm. uh, websites and, and, and see that it is the fastest growing uh, segment of Christianity right now, hmm. but again, it, it, it's kind of hard to come up with numbers because they're pulling from all kinds of different denominations, and, and even and, and some may disagree with me on this, but I do believe they are pulling some from from uh, as you know if there are Catholic churches that yeah. actually um, if they can identify them as practicing the gifts and being. Uh, they, they, it's possible they count them as well. Well, I can't cite this because uh, I can't remember where I heard it, but I heard it relatively recently within the past few months. I heard that actually the most, the largest group of charismatics in the world are actually charismatic Catholics. And it's very, well, and I can see that because if they count Latin America. Yeah, it's huge in Latin America. It's, you know, but, and, and there's probably, when it comes to the count there and trying to come up with yeah. the statistics, I'm sure they go back and forth and are all over the place. But like I said, I, I think we're at a place, we're in a season of time where it's like many streams, it's like many streams are coming together. Mm-hmm. Now that many streams in the natural, you'll see, uh, create a lot of turbulence yeah. when they when different streams come together. And I, I think that's, that's kind of what God's doing right mm-hmm. now. Yeah, I wonder if that also has to do with the, um, the amount of secularism that's on the rise in the world in general um, and how I think maybe we're starting to see among ourselves as Christians, like, you know, we need to be close because we see what's going on in the world. Um, It's crazy out there. Yeah. Um, It's, you know, if we, if we look at where we're at today and we look at uh, what, three, four months ago before the pandemic hit, man, we've seen, I've never in my lifetime, I'm 58 years old, about, about to be 59. But I've never seen such a drastic change in society and culture. I mean, right now, everything's just like, what's going on? <laughs> <You know? laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Crazy time in the world, for sure. Yeah. So um, in the midst of all this talk about charismatic movement, Pentecostalism, 
Um, where does scripture fit in? How do you view scripture? Is it sola scriptura? Is that how you would define yourself, the church? You know, I, I'm, I'm comfortable with wearing that label. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I do understand when it comes to interpretation, um, there has to be a lot more flexibility. I don't like being, like I used the term earlier, dogmatic. I don't like, uh, again, this is where I've kind of changed in 10 years. 10 years ago, I was like very dogmatic on uh, the authority of Scripture. I still am. I, 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 I still am. But, I'm, but I also understand that when it comes to, to interpretation, mm-hmm. that there's got to be a little bit more flexibility uh, because, uh, again, whether it's uh, whether it's baptism of the Holy Spirit or spirit baptism, whether it's salvation, um, whether it's justification by faith, I, I, I mean, we can legitimately come up with so many different interpretations backed by Scripture. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I I I will say that first and foremost, I start with Scripture. So in that sense, yes, I'm all about the authority of Scripture. But at the same time, I also realize that, okay, we have to be a little bit more flexible in the sense of the way we interpret things. Mm-hmm. And obviously there's different in, in, in different ways in which we interpret Scripture, mm-hmm. different methods. Um, and, um, and I'll be honest, there are doctrines. There are doctrines even today for me as a pastor, which, which probably 10 plus years ago, I felt like I, I I was solid, and I'm, I, I this is the way it is, and there's no other way. I know this is the way it is. Cause look what the Bible says. Well, at this point in my life, I, I I'm like, okay, uh, I, I can read that and see that there's different interpretations, and each each interpretation backs their interpretation up with Scripture, mm-hmm. and there's other ways of backing it up as well. There's tradition, there's um, experience. So I'm big on experience. I'm big on uh, and I am big on tradition. A lot of the research I do today, a lot of my studies, it's important for me to go back and see what the early church, how the early church mm-hmm. viewed those things. Very important for me. I think it's very important to uh, to look at what the patristic fathers, mm-hmm. how they viewed things. And so when you say early church, you look towards Acts, I'm assuming for sure, but then you, you mentioned church fathers. What are yeah. some of the church fathers that you look at to... Do you, do you know off the top of your head? Well, first I, I'll say that I wished I would have taken uh, a history class that just dealt with the patristic fathers. Yeah. But the history class I took recently, and by the way, you know, as you know, I just started back to school three right. years ago. Uh, but um, uh, the patristic fathers that I like a lot, my favorite, without a doubt, is Athanasius mm-hmm. of Alexandria. Mm-hmm. I mean, that guy is um, uh, amazing for the time period he lived. Uh, with the adversity that he faced, mm-hmm. the things that he that he uh, the things he went through, um, and yet stood his ground, did not waver. I mean, he's he's one of the main. He's a major catalyst in where we're at today in under, in, in believing in the Trinity. Mm-hmm. He fought for the Trinity, uh, especially for the Holy Spirit factor. See, and that's important to me because mm-hmm. of my renewal theology and, and the importance of the Holy Spirit. Um, but just to see how he stood in that was just so impressive, and to see what he wrote, um, to see to see that like when he defended, when he defended the Holy Spirit as being the third person of the Trinity. I'm sitting there going, how how did he write that and not have the same tools that we have today? I mean, for us, all right, all I got to do is just basically think of a scripture 
or just even the idea. And I'll just Google in and there it is. Quick, you know, there I am. There it is. Oh, yeah, that's that's John. That's, you know, John 12, whatever. And all I got to do is just type in a couple of words from that verse and there it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the recalls, um, you know, I I don't need a lot of recall. I just need to be able to think just generally and just type it in and then look at all the sources or resources that we have to to look to. All the Bible dictionaries, all the the scholarly works we can reference. Mm -hmm. What did he have? He only had the Bible. And yet this guy could, I mean, he... And defending and just defending the Trinity, and by the way, he used the term triad, mm-hmm. <laughs> the holy triad. We use the term Trinity, mm-hmm. um, but when you read his uh, in defense of uh, you know of the Holy Spirit uh, and the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, he 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 pulls every verse in the Scripture and he articulates. He and so yes, Athan- <laughs> as you can see, I like Athanasius yeah, a whole lot. Great. Yeah. I would love to spend a lot. Of t- I would love to spend a semester just studying Athanasius. Yeah. But but anyway. Uh, Athanasius of Alexandria, Jerome. Mm-hmm. I like Jerome. Jerome a lot. Sure. Um, so, uh, as pertaining to the Patristic Fathers, yes, those are probably two of my favorites. Okay, yeah. Um, so, does reason come into your thought at all? You mentioned experience, you mentioned tradition, you mentioned scripture, of course. Do you put any stock in reason? Yes. Yes, I do. Um, and. Again, that kind of would fit with okay, where are you at on sola scripture? Scripture, mm-hmm. um, but but yes, and I think there's different. And again, there's some there's some variation on the way we we term the word reason and how we apply the word reason. Okay, um, especially if we get real philosophical, right? <laughs> um, but I, I kind of like the I, I like the model, even though he didn't coin the term John Wesley used. He didn't coin the term itself, but there's a term. It's, uh, it's the uh, Methodist quadrilateral. I don't know mm-hmm. if, you've, if you're familiar yeah, with it. Yeah, I just spoke uh, my last interview with uh, the Reverend David Graybill from okay. Keith Methodist. We we talked a little bit about the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Wesleyan quadrilateral mm-hmm. or Methodist quadrilateral. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you know, John Wesley did not coin right. the term. Yeah. But from studying his life and looking at how he approached Scripture, how he uh, approached Christianity, mm-hmm. broken down into four, uh, you know, four elements. There's... Mm-hmm. First scripture, but is always first scripture, and that's kind of where I'm at as well. Um, first scripture, but then you've got um, you, you've got experience, you've got reason, um, and you've got tradition. So you use those four. So reason comes in. You've got to use reason because um, you know some of my evangelical uh, friends may not like this, but the Bible does not give us the answer on everything. Very true. So. So you got to use some reason, but I would say that using that reason—that's—that's that's why we have the Holy Spirit to help us Absolutely. to u- utilize that reasoning ability that we have. So, Absolutely. so that's the way I would look at that. Yeah. One thing I've wanted to ask you for a while, and I've heard this quite a bit in Baptist churches, Pentecostal churches, other charismatic movements, um, is the idea of a negativity against religion, the idea of I don't know if it's the idea of religion because I guess that's that's kind of my question. There's a negativity about you. Someone will say, you know, that's a religious spirit, um, or um, you know, we're, it's not religion; it's a relationship. I see it a lot on Facebook, um, and I'm just curious uh, what that is. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll go with sure. that. Sure. Well, actually, <clears throat> that that's important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, the the term religious spirit basically has to do with 
uh, a mindset, a belief, or a practice that uh, where uh, instead of um, being open to the Holy Spirit, um, instead of being uh, open to or uh, being able to receive the grace of God, it's it's more of being legalistic. Mm-hmm. Um, that you've got to do this. It, it's it's a system uh, of do's and don'ts. It's you got to do this or else you know it's it's you got to you got to go through these steps. You got to do these things to um, you know uh, to be a Christian, yeah. so to speak. Instead of relationship, where we're making relationship the important aspect of our Christianity. Um, the emphasis or focus is just more, my Christianity is more focused on these steps or these do's and don'ts mm-hmm. versus my relationship with Christ. Now, I'm not opposed uh, to, uh, obviously, to to do's and don'ts. I mean, we read the New Testament. We have a lot of do's and don'ts in yeah. the New Testament. Um, but one way of looking at that is, is that my acceptance with God, my... Uh, my, for lack of better words, uh, my being able to enjoy God is not based on whether I've uh, met the criteria of those do's and don'ts. It's just me focused on the fact that He loves me and He wants a uh, a relationship with me. So, so I try to I try to to eliminate any of those religious things that get between me and my relationship with God. Mm-hmm. If they can help me with my relationship with God, absolutely. But if they become my relationship with God, that's the issue I have mm-hmm. with those kind of things. Because I know a lot of people, whether whether Catholic or Protestant, because this is not limited to one denomination. I think Protestants would love to throw this on the Catholics. Uh, oh, yeah. you know, but uh, it's it's just it just takes on a different mantle or a different look, okay? Sure. Um, but um, but I I personally am am, am, am all about making sure that that people's relationship or people's Christianity is first and foremost based on uh, a one-on-one relationship with God that mm-hmm. they actually know God because a lot of people when you talk to them and I know I grew up I grew up Catholic and I'm not just I'm just I, I just know that from experience by growing up Catholic I know there there are a lot of Catholics who absolutely have an amazing strong relationship with God okay um, and my grandmother was one of them. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, she prayed. Um, I didn't see religion being her relationship. God was her relationship. She was all about the Lord. So that's kind of how I, um, for lack of better terms or words, you know, explain that. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to, uh, just trying to remove those things where we, as a church, will say if you if you've met this criteria, then you're good to go. Um, and then the whole focus then shifts from focusing on my relationship with, with the Lord, mm-hmm. uh, to focusing on meeting this criteria yeah. and see that's in the Protestant church. Just that's sure. That's in the Protestant church as well. Absolutely. And in that sense, how does that follow into the idea of soteriology and into the idea of salvation? Sure. What is, what is salvation to you? How does one attain that? Is there step-by-step process? Is there, uh, you know, pray this certain prayer, or is it a journey? What is it to you? Well, on paper, <clears throat> it can be. It can. It can actually look like a step-by-step pro- uh, mm-hmm. process. Again, we can see that 
pretty clearly in evangelical churches. You know, uh, you know, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth. I mean, even right. in Protestant churches, we have kind of like uh, a formula, so to speak. Right. Um, I don't personally like the formula. Um, I like to look at what Jesus said uh, in uh, in the Gospels uh, when he asked his disciples. He asked the question, you know, who do you say that I am? And of course, they kind of he hauled around on that. You know, some say you're, you know, you're one of the prophets. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some, uh, and then he turns back and he says, uh, you know, he says, but he says to Peter, but who do you say that I am? Mm -hmm. And he comes back. And he says, Thou art the Son of the Living God. Mm -hmm. And Jesus responds to that by saying, you know, now I know how the Catholic Church interprets that particular. Uh, uh, those particular verses of scripture, but I think it's very important. Look at this. You know, Jesus responds by saying, "You know, uh, he says, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And so, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of uh, hell or Hades will not prevail." For me, this is talking about salvation. I think we can see salvation in this verse of scripture so powerfully when Jesus says, "Simon Barjona." Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. In other words, mom and dad, your church, uh, your system, your organization. You know, I mean, there's people in America that just believe because they're Americans, they're, they're going to heaven. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Because uh, baseball is my favorite sport. And <laughs> Apple pie. <laughs> yeah. I'm a Christian. You know, I sing, I love God Bless the USA. That's right. It's my favorite song. I'm going to heaven. But... Um, but when, when Jesus said, he said, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood has, you know, uh, has not revealed this to you, but here it is, my Father who is in heaven. So my interpretation of that, I'm not taking anything away from that talking about faith, but the key in that verse for me is uh, revelation. Flesh and blood has not, here it is, the word revealed. Flesh mm -hmm. and blood has not revealed uh, this to you, but my Father. Mm -hmm. So... For me, salvation, uh, in, in a simple way of explaining it, and, and again, uh, you know, God can do whatever He wants to do. He's God. Uh, but salvation begins with that revelation of knowledge of, uh, of who Jesus is. And it begins with that. Once, that, once that. once you're in that place and it happens where you have a revelation of who Jesus Christ is, and it's not just because my parents told me that's who he is. Mm -hmm. It's not because my church told me who it is, who he is. It's because I now know in my spirit, I know that I know that I know that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is. That's for me is where salvation begins. How does one worship God? Oh, <laughs> these are great questions. Just questions I'm curious about. No, uh, those are good questions. Yeah. Um, I know that's, that's a tough question. Well, you know... Worship, uh, again, if we look, you know, go all the way back to the Old Testament and going through the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, obviously, I, th I think one of the main uh, main meanings or way of understanding worship had to do with surrender, had to do with sacrifice. Mm -hmm. I mean, we look in the Old Testament, you, we, worship was always associated with the sacrificing of an animal. So you got the key term is sacrifice. Mm -hmm. So there obviously is a, a sacrifice involved in that. There's a surrender, a dying to self. When, when I think of salvation, 
And, and when I apply it to my own experience, and there's the key word, I'm big on experience. Um, I know a lot of people shy away from that, but I'm big on experience because, and I, uh, you know, I can, I can go back. Now, this is a little, some people would hear this and go, oh man, you're Looney Tunes. But I can go back to when I was a kid going with my grandmother to our Catholic church in our little German kind of uh, <laughs> town. She cleaned church on Fridays. Okay. So I would go with her. And this was a, a, a very, you know, kind of when you go into this kind of church, it had the, it had that European, it had, you know, like churches in Italy, churches mm -hmm. in Greece, you know, the stained glass windows, the statues, mm -hmm. the beautiful way it was just, I mean, the decoration mm -hmm. and all that. It's just, it was just, you walk in there as a kid and you're going, wow. Yeah. You know, I love it's that. not like the contemporary look of a Catholic church. Uh, I agree. I love you know? that. I, see, I do. I love it too. Mm -hmm. All right. I, I, I'm torn. I also like the contemporary look of like ours is with mm -hmm. the lights and all that. Mm -hmm. But I also uh, love the uh, the ancient look, so mm -hmm. to speak. I think it really shows kind of the grandeur of God. It's sort of that. I think that's kind of the idea that I think of when I walk into a big cathedral in Europe yeah. or something like that. Or even ours in Knoxville. I don't know if you've been to the, the new cathedral in Knoxville. No, I haven't. You should take oh, really? the opportunity to go. It's brand new. It was just got finished, built two, three years ago. Uh, stunning. They did a great job. So it has that kind of... Oh, yeah. You walk okay. in, it's grand. It's oh, that's good. European styling, yeah. basilica, architecture. It's, yeah. it's wonderful. You should take an opportunity. Well, I, I can tell you this. Going to Greece and Italy last year was just uh, yeah. mind-boggling where... I'd go into a church and I just want to sit there and look at every little thing. And everybody else was like, "Come on, we need to go." Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, I can remember there was a, there was a Friday that I was with my grandmother. I went with her a lot to help. Either one, she was babysitting or kid sitting. I was like ten years old, uh, or two. I was helping her. But anyway, I, I can remember standing like in the altar area, and she was off somewhere, maybe in another room, cleaning. And I felt like I heard a voice from heaven. I mean, literally, like like an audible voice from heaven. And I mean, it freaked me out. Um, but from that day on, from that day on, I uh, I talked to God. I mean, I mean, from that day on, I mean, whether I was out in the woods hunting, playing sports, from that day on, I talked to God. Mm. There was something special about that day. But getting back to the to to, to the, the you know your asking the question of worship and me and, and talking about sacrifice. But it was in that church in 1995 here in Athens when I got, I had a radical, radical experience. That, that Sunday, the difference between that Sunday and my life prior to that is, is that there was a dying to self for me because I made a decision that day. All right, I'm separating myself from my past, from my worldly past, because I had a very worldly past, especially playing in bands, played in traveling bands for uh, almost 10 years, um, with the exception of when I was in the military. Mm -hmm. And um, it was very wild, and, and it was a bad lifestyle. And all, you know, all that goes with it, sex, drugs, rock and roll, all that. Mm -hmm. but, um, but that Sunday, I had a very powerful experience. But in that, it, you know, being keeping this, you know, I don't want to go into all the details, but the bottom line is, and here's where for me worship began that day. Because on that day, I, I said no to the world, I said no to self, mm -hmm. and I said no to sin. Not that I was perfect at that moment in action and in thought, mm -hmm. but at that moment, I said no to, I like to word it today, I didn't know it 
I mean, I didn't know what it meant then. I didn't put it in a, I, I didn't word it that way then, but now I would explain. I said no to sin, self, and Satan that day, mm. even though I didn't know to say no to Satan, sin, but I did in a sense. And that day I said yes to Jesus, just like in a wedding, just like in a marriage. Mm. And that to me is when my worship began because worship is where I'm getting everything else out of the way and I'm just get, I'm, I'm surrendering, giving it to God. Mm. That's, and so that's facilitated at the church by praise and worship music. It's how does that, how does that intertwine? Now, it's, this will be a good question to ask John Gordon yeah, one day because yeah. we get in these discussions a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and he would totally agree with what I just said because he loves to talk about the sacrifice uh, in the sense of what we just talked about because mm -hmm. that really is the, 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 the best way to define what worship is, is tying that sacrifice in. Right. But obviously the term worship has expanded. Um, and today it's... It's the term we use today. I'm not going to say it's the the actual full biblical meaning of the, of the in the sense, mm -hmm. but today we tie it to praise and you know today it's when we come together and we sing and you know uh, we couple that singing with music. So today we call that worship. Yeah. It would that would be an interesting study to see how far back we could go to find where the term worship switched from a sacrifice, you know, the taking up your cross, dying to self, mm -hmm. sacrificial, you know, service to where it's more about singing. And, right. and I, I'd like to know where that transition took place. It is interesting. Well, hopefully I will uh, spare you some, some of the hard questions. I think we got those out of the way. Um, I'm going to move into talking about you a little bit more. Um, about your history. Hopefully it should be a lot easier to talk about uh, instead of these theological questions. But uh, where are you from originally? Are you from Southeast Tennessee? Are you from this area? I'm actually from Middle Tennessee uh, in a county called Lawrence County that is on the border of Alabama. Oh, okay. Uh, it's, it's pretty much Middle Tennessee for sure. Yeah. But, um, but that county in itself is a unique county for the South, especially for Tennessee. Um, that county, uh, for the most part, was a German Catholic settlement. There are three Catholic churches in Lawrence County. Wow. And it's a rural county, no differently. It's the same size as McMinn, okay. population-wise. Yeah. Might even be smaller, to be honest. Wow. Um, but there are three um, Catholic churches, two Catholic schools. They're, you know, they're not as, they're not as, if we go back to the 60s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, they, they were thriving schools. Today, sure. not so much. Sure. But, um, but I, know, I, I know of two of those churches. I don't know about the third one. I don't know about the one in Lawrenceburg, but the one in Loretta and the one in Leoma, um, those are the European-style uh, mm. churches built by those old Germans that came yeah. over. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, that's where I'm from. I grew up there. grew up Catholic, went to a Catholic school. Until what age? So did you grow up there until high school? You went to Catholic school? I went to Catholic school. They only had first through eighth grade. Okay. So at the eighth grade, we went to the, we went to high school okay. at that time. Yeah. So I had first through eighth grade, Catholic school, um, went to Catholic, went to mass Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, hmm. uh, and then either Saturday or Sunday, depending on what, you know how our parents went. So yeah. uh, I was an altar boy. Hmm. All right. Oh, absolutely. I even was... Uh, uh, would do the reading of, you could have to help me with the terminology, but I'd be the guy on the other side of the priest and would read from the scriptures. So, okay, yeah, you'd be a lector? Yes, I uh, guess. Read the scripture? Yeah. Before? Yeah. Oh, nice. So I did that. Wow. Um, and, of course, I had my first Holy Communion. I had confirmation. Um, 
So that's where I'm from. Lawrence County grew up. Lawrence County, all I mean, the the, my, the, the last name Simbeck is a big name there. Okay, lots of Simbecks. Um, I mean, we had I had two uncles that were principals at the high school at that. Oh, really? Yes. Um, so uh, and uh, so anyway, so that's left there as a junior and moved to McMinn County. Uh, moved to McMinn County. Actually, first we uh, stopped in Chattanooga. My dad worked for TVA. Okay. So his job, he worked in um, um, Muscle Shoals, Alabama. That okay. job played out in the 70s. And um, and so uh, he transitioned into the nuclear pro- uh, program. He, he passed the test, qualified, was able to do so. And so he got his training in Chattanooga at Sequoia. We were there like, they were there for a couple of years. I actually stayed with my grandmother one year because I played sports and, and uh, mm-hmm. That's another whole story, but but anyway, they so they were there a couple of years. I was in Chattanooga for a little for about a year, and then uh, went to Hickson High School for just a little bit, and uh, then we moved. He got transferred from Sequoia to Watts Bar. We came to McMinn County, and uh, been here ever since 1978. Wow! So your parents growing up were they also faithful Christians? I know you spoke about your grandmother being very faithful Catholic and. Were, uh, were your parents also faithful? My parents, uh, my dad was a devout Catholic mm. all the way. Um, in fact, all my aunts and uncles are devout on the Simbeck side. Mm-hmm. Um, even the ones married into it are devout Catholics. Um, and obviously, from not, my, my parents got married, what, 1960? I was born in 61. Um, and you know the practice then. My, my mother was not a Catholic, mm. but she had to... She had to convert to Catholicism, or at least I, I don't know how that would have been expressed, but she did convert to Catholicism. Mm. They were married in the Catholic Church. She came out of a Methodist, Baptist uh, background. Wherever the, my, my mother, they, her family were sharecroppers, very, oh. very poor. Um, and they were tobacco workers, cattle farmers, um, all that. But anyway, so what... as. For her growing up, the church she attended was the church that was closest to where they lived, whether it was Baptist, whether it was Methodist. Mm. Um, but um, but anyway, but you know, all my life, I mean, my my dad was absolutely committed to never missing uh, mass. Mm. I mean, if if they went on vacation, they were going to mass somewhere. Yeah. I mean, I don't care what town it was. Yeah. My dad was going to mass. Wow. So yes. Wow. So worried about. So growing up, um, having that instilled in you in some way, what what was your experience with God when you were young, when middle school years, elementary school years, do you remember? Yes. Um, Like a lot of uh, teenagers, my middle school years is when I really began to distance Mm -hmm. and become more distanced from church, from Christianity. Mm -hmm. I mean, not that I ever rejected it, but as a teenager, I'm like, I don't want to go to church. You, you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I could, you're going to laugh at this, but I can remember fighting with my parents on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. Like, man, I don't want to go to church. I want to sit home and watch Godzilla. Absolutely. <laughs> I was the same way. I'm, I'm serious. I was the same <laughs> absolutely. way. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I can remember like, I don't want to miss Lost in Space. These things are coming on. I'm, I, y'all go to church. Um, but uh, the middle school years, especially the high school years, that was probably that was when I really uh, became a little bit more, um, a little bit more distanced. Um, like a lot of teenagers, I got into the pop music of the day, mm-hmm. rock music, 
And so I did, that was the beginning of maybe somewhat of a rebellious kind of uh, path. Not that I have, I'm one of those high school students or high school kids. I never did anything as far as I didn't do drugs. Mm. I was really into athletics. I'm like, you, you don't, you don't mix drugs and, you know, being a football player right. and all that. So they don't really work well so, together. No. So I didn't do any of that stuff, so to speak. Um, it was, it was right out of high school that, um, I mean, right out of high school, I didn't pursue, I didn't go on to pursue sports because my senior year, um, just something started to really switch in me. I, I mean, I always loved music always. Uh, I mean, I can remember as a seventh and eighth grader freshman, uh, just putting on headphones and listening to music for hours. Mm-hmm. Oh, and by the way, as a fifth and sixth uh, grader, maybe even seventh grader, going to the Catholic uh, school and church in my hometown, I took guitar lessons from a nun oh. and played guitar in church as well. So nice. I was very active in my yeah. fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade years as a Catholic, yeah. being in a Catholic church. And and out and to, to <laughs> and I was so into it at that time. I remember, I remember seeing a couple of like uh, Glenn Campbell. I had a Glenn, couple of Glenn Campbell uh, eight tracks, and might have been somebody else. And I saw his uh, guitar glittering uh, <laughs> with glitter. Of course, it wasn't probably the kind of glitter I use, but I'm like, okay, if his guitar glitters, I've got to, I got to make my gl- guitar glitter. <laughs> so I took Elmer's glue, uh, went around the outside oh, no. of the guitar, put regular glitter on it, oh, and no. had my own circle of glitter around the guitar. Wow. Um, and uh, on circle of uh, glitter around the guitar, and I'd be in church playing that guitar uh, with the glitter and everything wow. showing. Yeah. Uh, so uh, so anyway, uh, so I, I had to get you back get back to that. But but when I went into the seventh and eighth grade sports, went into high school completely. It was totally into sports. And I was really good. I mean, I was pretty good at baseball, very good at baseball, mm-hmm. decent at football. I mean, I was a starter. If I played, I started. So seventh through high, seventh grade through my senior year, all about sports. Mm-hmm. But my senior year after the football season, because I got hurt my senior year, mm-hmm. I just started shifting in instead of wanting to pursue sports. I think, I believe I could have played, I don't know, I think I could have made a pretty good run um, at making a career out of baseball mm-hmm. back in those days. Really? But um, but anyway, I just I just fell in love with music, wanting to be I mean even wanting to be caught up in that and and ran into a person who was a guitar player, a very very good guitar player. Mm. We became friends. He put together a band. He said, "Man, I need a bass player." I was like, "Well, I don't I, I don't know, I don't have a bass. I don't know how to play bass, but uh, I've played a little guitar." He said, "I'll teach you how to play bass." So that's kind of how that started. Okay. Uh, the year I was a senior in high school, mm. towards the end of my high school senior year, and. Um, within a year, I'm playing in bands, playing live, and uh, making money doing it, and yeah. that's off we go. Um, so in college, then you pursued music studies. Okay, so so what I did, I went to right out of high school. I went to Cleveland State, mm-hmm. uh, majored, uh, or I should say, working on my associates in music, mm-hmm. and at the same time, industrial technology. Mm-hmm. So I was doing both because my dad would like. You're wasting your time. Be practical. Music. Be practical. Right? He's like, if you want to do it, that's fine. But if I'm paying, if I'm helping you pay, if I'm helping pay for this, you're going to do this. Yeah, yeah. So I was doing kind of both. 
and I got a, I got a degree in both. Okay. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of where that started. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I got into bands that started playing in Knoxville and Chattanooga mm-hmm. uh, around 1983, 84, um, playing in Nashville. Um, and, and when I say playing, I'm talking sometimes Tuesday through Saturday, right. playing in Gatlinburg. Um, so we were traveling around and just playing top 40 stuff. Uh, 1984, because um, my because st- I'm changing in my styles of music, and you know, it wasn't long. I mean, it didn't take long to get bored playing rock bass. Mm-hmm. You know, typical sure. bar barroom kind of bass playing mm-hmm. so I started to evolve and get more into more of the R&B and then moving into the jazz and so I I said look I'm gonna I want to pursue jazz and that's when I, uh, I I walked on the campus at UT and that's back in the days before we had internet and mm-hmm. could Google and see what's going on so I can I can tell you this right now that day I walked on campus was a very <laughs> intimidating uh, day for me because mm-hmm. uh, it was so huge um, but anyway, I walked on campus to pursue the studio in jazz, and that's what I did. I ended up became uh, started. Going, I went to UT, um, taking the studio uh, jazz composition studio uh, program that they were doing there. Yeah. By the way, at the time, Jerry Coker was over that. Okay, who yeah. was very uh, he was um, you know a, a well known mm-hmm. uh, name in the jazz world. Yeah. Um, a lot of people were coming from all over to go there. They were either going to Berkeley, going to Miami. They were coming, to, believe it or not, Knoxville, wow. Tennessee. So I, I got connected in that, was there for, for like two and a half years. Okay. Wow. Uh, and while I was there, I joined the Cooter Daniel Band, and that messed everything up. <laughs> Did it? <laughs> well, while you were in college, what was your concept of God then? Did you have a concept no. of God? Nothing. I'm just, uh, when, when, you know, out of high school, all those years out of high school, mm-hmm. my concept of God was... I'm Catholic. I'm good to go. Uh, That's all I need. Yeah. I, I'm just, you know, I just. Uh, Did you go to church? Did you go to no, mass at no, all? No, no, no. I didn't even hardly go on midnight mass. My my dad, my parents would want me to, uh, but um, no, I I I basically was completely out of church. Hmm. Now, I didn't have a problem getting into theological debates. Oh. Um, I, I I mean, you know, depending on the the, the right situation, if hmm. somebody wanted to talk about God. I can tell you this, I'll be the, right, the first things out of my mouth. I don't even want to talk to you if you're not Catholic. Cause, really? Yeah, that's the way I Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to. <laughs> I mean, that's to me, I defended the Catholic Church like it was like, you know, I mean, I was wow. I was like, I don't even, look, we can't even talk if you're not even Catholic because you don't even know where you're coming from. <laughs> but I wouldn't, at the same time, I wasn't even going to church. Right, you know? yeah. So when did that start to change for you? Good question. Um, we have to rewind just a little bit because that same year out of high school, uh, I met another musician, uh, friend, his name was Thomas Kirtner, uh, who just, by the way, passed away last year. Shock, total shock. Great guitar player, great bass player, really good piano player. This guy was, you know, and he was, he was a music major at UT years earlier. Wow. So he's like 10 years older than me. Um, but, uh, uh, made friends with him. He was giving bass lessons, um, and and in fact, a few years later, we started a jazz band. You mm. know, I mean, I was barely. I, I, I mean, he had to teach me everything. He was helping me get along, but um, but the thing with him, not only was he a great guitar player, bass player, teacher, and a great guy, 
he was on fire for God. He, I mean, this guy had his Bible out every day, would read it. And he is, uh, he is, he's the guy that got me to visit a non-Catholic church for the first time. So I went with him uh, in probably 1980, 81 uh, to a church in Cleveland, Tennessee. A radical, when I say radical, extreme, Pentecostal, charismatic, I mean, everything wide open. I'm sure that's a shift. I walked in and I walked out 15 minutes later. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, I can't, I'm, I'm out of here. Mm. I'm not kidding. I mean, that's no exaggeration. Yeah. I told him, I said, look, I can't handle this. They were speaking in tongues. They were giving prophetic words. And they, all I know is the atmosphere was such a shock. Mm. I, 15 minutes later, I said, look, I'm out of here. So that was my first experience visiting a church that was non-Catholic. And that was a radical experience. I mean, I'm like, I don't want anything to do with that. Um, now, another, probably within the same year, I went with him again to another church, actually here in Athens, uh, Overcoming Faith Christian Center. Mm, okay. And I went with him because he needed a bass player. Mm. So I played bass with him. And I loved that experience because they had some great musicians back in the early 80s. Yeah. Wonderful, incredible piano player. Mm. Uh, older black man played amazing piano. Mm. Um, I loved it. Um, so there was an experience. Um, I didn't walk out protesting that church that day. Mm. Um, and I did that a couple of times. Um, if we fast forward, while I was at UT, my one of those years, my roommate, uh, David Gillum, um, we were roommates. We had a house together. He was a drummer. He was an economics major, but he was a drummer. He loved jamming. He was into jazz. Mm. Uh, he was a good drummer, and we'd jam a lot. That's why we, we kind of hooked up together, got a house together. Um, same same situation. I didn't plan it this way, but here he's a guy. He's reading his Bible all the time. This guy would walk on the campus at UT. Great guy. And there'd be like three or four Hare Krishnas, or I don't know how you exactly term but they'd be there with their gowns on, mm -hmm. their tambourines and stuff. He'd go right up to them, lo just love on them, but tell them about Jesus. And mm -hmm. I was so impressed with the way he did things. And impressed with the fact that he would read his Bible every morning. I mean, he'd be reading his Bible morning, afternoon. Um, when I would bring the party home from the clubs at night, he would suffer through that, never scold me or get on to me. Or, I mean, he suffered through that. Hmm. Um, and, uh, but, um, but we had a lot of discussion. And in that discussion, and he was, he was never challenging, never pressure. He, he didn't apply the pressure tactics. He never forced me to, uh, to believe a certain way. Never told me I was going to hell or anything like that. It's just that we'd sit down and if he, he, he just knew how to ask the right questions. And even though I might not have the answers, I had the answers that I'd learned from my, my days, my C, uh, CCD classes mm -hmm. and things like of that nature. But, um, but I would, but I'm the type, okay, I got to have something to back it up with. So that's when I would start reading my own Bible. Hmm that I would go to look for the answers. Um, uh, and then, of course, a couple of years later, I'd end up getting burnout on life, burnout. I mean, playing with Cooter Daniel Band was a great experience. Cooter had two country hits, or at least one for sure. Um, there was a top 100 uh, country billboards. Hmm. Um, a lot of stuff going on there. I want to get into all that. Uh, why? I mean, a lot of factors led, into, led to me being burnout. I left the Cooter Daniel Band, joined the Army. I'd seen too many Rambos and all this. I'm like, I need a change in life, so I'm going to the Army. Uh, yeah, a month later, I'm like, what did I do? Uh, all right, but 
My platoon sergeant, my first two years in the Army, was a pastor of a Pentecostal charismatic church in Berlin, Germany. Really? A black pastor, great guy, Vietnam War veteran. Um, and he invited me a few times to come to go to his church. But I, I mean, nothing. I went because I just wanted it to look good. I wanted, I feel okay, I can get some brownie points. I'll do what I got to do yeah. so that I can, you know. Um, but I will say there was a, there was a month that we went to Italy, uh, to Vicenza, Italy, to train up in the Italian Alps. And before we went, uh, I had been, something happened to me. I, I was tip top shape. I was, in fact, not bragging. I mean, I, as far as our whole company of 120 something soldiers, I was the most in shape. I, I could, I had the fastest time in the two mile run, most push-ups, most sit-ups. I mean, I was extremely athletic, athletic in those days. But then I, all that just kind of just vanished. I mean, I couldn't do the push-ups. I couldn't do the sit-ups. I lost strength in my arms. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what was going on. Finally, got diagnosed with uh, thyroid disease, and that was in my fine. My, my brother had it since he was a teenager, mm-hmm. and they're they're like, "Yeah, you've got you've got Graves' disease, and uh, and it's you know you're going to have the rest of your life, and you got to take pills." They got me on the pills. It started coming back, but slowly. Mm-hmm. But when it started coming back, I got into a basketball game. I finally had the strength to play basketball, and I sprained my ankle. <laughs> now, spraining my ankle, I still was forced to go on the training exercise. Oh, no. Terrible. I mean, I'm having to lug my gear in with, a, with a, like a boot on, onto a plane, onto oh. the bus, into the mountains. But the thing is, so I'm in the mountains. I can't go out and train in the snow because it was cold-weather mountain training. I couldn't train in the snow, but I was stuck inside this huge World War II bunker where we stayed. And I was there from morning to night. They would go out at six, come back at six at night. And I'm sitting there looking at four walls with nothing, nothing but my clothes. And I went to the platoon sergeant one day and says, I gotta have something to read. He gave me his Bible. I read that Bible every day. Those almost, well, we were there 30 days, so probably 26 of those days, I read it every day, all day long. Now, here's what happened. While I'm up in the mountains, not only does my ankle just quickly get better, I feel like I am a new person. And so I feel like I heard a voice say, quit taking the medicine. So I quit taking my thyroid medicine. I've never taken another pill since that moment. Really? Never. And you've not had any issues since then? No. Wow. No. And see, only, all I had was a New Testament. It was a, it was a New I didn't have a, even the Old Testament. I mean, so I'm sitting there reading the, the Gospels and all the healings and reading those examples. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I actually thought, I mean, I felt like I, I was hearing a voice say, don't take the medicine anymore. Hmm. And I didn't take the medicine anymore. I didn't. I quit taking it. Wow. And I've... I've, I've never had to go back on it. So I have no problem saying just getting into the scripture and being in that place up on the mountain. So I'm a big advocate of getting away mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, getting with God, mm-hmm. some kind of retreat form kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that was significant. But when I came down off the mountain, I went back to um, on weekends, I'm going with the GIs, the clubs, quit thinking about God again. Mm-hmm. So God was out of the picture. Um, 
A year or so later, I get transferred to the States. A year later, I'm in Desert Storm. And while I'm in Desert Storm, because of the way things were in place, we couldn't really do a lot of training because we always had to stay battle ready. Mm. Um, we had to stay in, in that situation. Um, I, had, I went back to reading my Bible all day long. Couldn't do a lot of training. Stuck there. It's hot. You sit there. Find the shade on the side of your vehicle as the sun moved around. Yeah. And I sit there and read my Bible all. I actually ended up um, guys coming to me asking questions about the Bible, and I could answer them because I'd read it so much. Yeah. We started having Bible study almost every day out there in wow. the desert. Yeah. It's amazing. It's almost like the calling of God was already there. Right. But it just wasn't activated, so to speak. I mean, there was practical stuff going on. I mean, I was we were reading the Bible. We were discussing the Bible. I was answering certain questions the best way I could. But there was something going on there. So, um, But when I got out of the Army, went right back to playing in bands, went back, right back to the old lifestyle. Hmm. And fast-forwarding, um, uh, got married, um, had a little one. We're partying, I'm playing in bands, life's falling to pieces. And, um, uh, I, you know, a couple of Easter's, we went with my wife's, with Julie's sister to the church that she was going to. It was a church called Living Waters, where Skip went at the time. Mm. And they had an amazing band. They had an incredible uh, Christian music band. Um, they really did. I was so impressed. Both Easter's I went there, I was incredibly impressed. Um, didn't make any commitment to the Lord, but both of those times that we attended those services, I was touched in a big way. Uh, the music, the kinds of songs that they sang, um, very contemporary for this area. They did the uh, they did the Hosanna Integrity stuff, where the rest of this area was all Southern Gospel and old hymns. Mm -hmm. But then there was a, a you know there was a there was a season right there, a short season. I was burnt out again in life. We were partying. I was, I was not only playing in bands. I was working a job to, you know, be respons a responsible parent. Mm -hmm. Man, I'm like, I was looking at life. I'm not making any money at either one. You know, here I am. What am I gonna do in life? And then, there was the partying factors on the the partying factor on the weekend, and um, just it was a Sunday morning. I got up. We'd partied the night before, and I was just like, I'm done. I, you know, I'm. I'm I, I even was con contemplating divorce. I just went out of all this. We were fighting, and uh, I, I just, I just felt again. There's that voice I felt. Now this was very not, not like the audible that I'd said earlier, but just that strong impression that I felt. Okay, you need to go to church. So I turned to my wife and I said, "Look, I'm going to church. You, you can do what you want. I'm going to church." Well, she said, "I'll go with you," and which is so. I mean, in light of that weekend and that season. I can't believe she did. Uh, I would have think she would have said, "Go, get out of here," because that's where we, mentally, where we were at, yeah. state of mind at that time. So we went, and kind of like in the same kind of format of the way we do songs here, a couple of fast and the slow. Um, they were playing a song, something like a song like "Be Magnified" or "There's No One Like You." They were just very powerful songs. I just cried out to God. I'm like, look, I'm burnt out. I'm done. You know, um, I've tried the the Christian thing. I've tried the God thing. Nothing's ever worked. I keep 
messing up. I keep just floundering. Those are the kind of thoughts I was having. I'm like, so if you're going to save me, if this is if if there's if there's more to this than what I've experienced in my life up till now, then you're going to have to do it. And this is what exactly what happened. I'm standing there. I got my eyes closed. I'm real agitated and frustrated. I'm holding Julie's hand because she's grabbed my hand. She's being touched emotionally. And no kidding, there was a part of me that wanted to raise my hand because people were raising their hands like we do here, over there, I should say, at Ascension Life. <laughs> but I wouldn't do it. It just wasn't me because it wasn't my background. Something was telling me to do it. I wanted to do it, but I'm like, I, I wasn't comfortable doing that. The minister of that church, who, not the pastor of that church, who also was part of the worship team, came off of the stage, came all the way back to where we were at. He didn't know me. I didn't know him. I'm sitting in the very back in the middle because I always like to get in the back and in the middle. <laughs> Good viewpoint. If I'm going to visit a church, I want in the back and in the middle. I don't want to be up in the front. He climbed over a chair, no kidding, grabbed my hand and Julie's and lifted them both up in the air. And then he... Uh, spoke in tongues, and he gave a prophetic word. I don't remember much of the prophetic word today, but that prophetic word basically was, you know, hey, God's, uh, you're a Joshua, and God's called you to lead your people in the promised land, and there was much more to it than that. And when he did that, I just kind of like had a, a Paul the Apostle kind of experience and was, I mean, it's like I was back in Jerusalem when Jesus was carrying the cross. It's like I was seeing Jesus carry the cross. And uh, and it was, to this day, it's the most powerful experience I've ever had. You know, people could say, I don't believe you had that. I don't believe you saw that. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. What matters is what I believe. Mm-hmm. And it was so powerful, so real. And literally, um, it changed my life. Mm-hmm. And when I came out of that, I mean, I was crying uncontrollably. I was shaking. Um, I, didn't, I didn't pray. I didn't speak in tongues or anything like that. But... Um, I left church that day changed. Yeah. I mean, I was so radically changed. I quit the band I was in. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want to put down my Bible. I wanted, I, I got rid of all of my, <laughs> got rid of everything. I mean, I just wanted to focus on the Lord. Yeah. And, uh, and then I didn't want to miss church. We went to church that night, went to church that Wednesday. Within weeks, I was going to prayer on Tuesday. Within and when, within a few weeks, they had me up on stage playing bass. Mm. Uh, they tried to get me to play bass solos, and I wouldn't. I was like, I can't do that at sacrilegious church. <laughs> uh, but um, so that's that really wow. is where I'm at today. Wow. And why and where why I am where I'm at today. It's a beautiful story. Yeah. So recently, you've um, gone back to school. What uh, what made you do that? Well, you know, I'm gonna. This is that's a this real that that question really I think puts everything together. When I look back at life and how God's using me now, I look at my upbringing in church and the commitment my parents had for going to church as being very important. That's why I see commitment to church today as being very important. Um, the years I played sports, I learned how to be a team player. I'm all about team. I'm all about a church being and functioning as a team. Um, and 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 when I was in this, it's like when I go through those seasons. That's where all my focus is at. 
my focus was all in sports in those years. I get out of that, I get into bands. I, so, all right, now my focus is I'm going to go major in music. I'm going to focus on music. So music became a major part of my life. Um, but then it's like my whole focus shifts. I'm going to go be a, I'm going to be a Rambo. I'm going to learn to be a soldier. Mm. Well, I did learn to be a soldier. And only that, I became a combat soldier. I was in combat, Desert Storm. And, and I brought all that into the church, into the way I do things, in the way I manage, the way I uh, see things the way I work, I operate, all those things, I look at how God uses all the things of our past to help us in the present. So I, 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 I took all those things. I look, at, I look back now and I'm like, man, there was a reason God had me uh, so passionately into sports, so passionately into music, so passionately into the military. Uh, and, and so about three years ago, that same kind of sense and feeling I had to pursue something new hit me and it was school um and even though thank god in this one it was not this one i wasn't going to leave something behind yeah god didn't ask me to leave the church or to quit pastoring in fact it's all working together but now this is just the next phase of my life and right now until god tells me differently i'm going to i walk that stage for the phd wow um now next year will be the thm God may say then that's enough. Yeah. <laughs> those uh those but I'm gonna have theses, to hear that loud yeah, and clear. Those theses will hurt you. <laughs> I'm gonna have to hear that loud and clear. Wow, that's great. Um so what's your favorite area of study right now? Just what was your favorite class so far? All right. Um I'm gonna answer that in two ways. Yeah. My my favorite area right now uh is uh without a doubt I'm my class right now is re- is renewal theology. Mm. So it's it, it is exactly what I'm all about. Um, now, I did have a class two semesters ago that was um, was the doctrine of the atonement. I am I, I love that a lot as well. I'm all about the atonement, but renewal theology is my heart. That's my passion, um, and everything that goes with that. But I will say too, I just finished. In fact, I got my final grade today. Mm-hmm. It was an eight weeks class. It was a STEM class. It was cosmogony and anthropology. Mm-hmm. And um, that class was probably, even though it's not the most, uh, it's not my favorite class, it's not the uh, most important class I've had to to date, but it was the most eye-opening class I've had, and I needed that. Mm. And I'll be honest, I fought, I resisted taking that class. I didn't want anything to do with it. Um, It's just the intimidation Mm -hmm. factor that it's a STEM class. Um, But great class. So anyway... But my favorite, and yeah, is what I'm doing right now, Renewal Theology. Nice. Well, to finish up, I uh, have come up with three questions that I'm calling the Trinity. They're just quick little questions that I'm going to be asking every single interviewee. Um, And to start, it's my favorite question, and sort of the heart, one of the hearts of why I'm doing this podcast. and it's a question that I don't think gets answered a lot. I don't hear a lot from the pulpit. I don't hear a lot from the ambo. I don't hear a lot from evangelists on TV or out on the street preaching. Um, who and what is God? Yeah. That's... Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a philosophical question, but I think it's important. Well, it's, it's, it's an excellent question. 
and it is an important question. Who is God? The best way I can answer that, obviously I can, I can, I can give technical answers. Yeah. All right. I've, I've given enough of those tonight. Sure. Um, but I'm going to answer it this way, other than saying, you know, in the beginning, God. Um, I, the best way that I relate to answering that question and I relate to God is the way I see and know Jesus. You know, even Jesus said, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Mm-hmm. And, of course, when we think of the Father, I mean, really, that's how we think of God, even though we know God's a trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Um, but uh, for me, who is God? My simple quick question, or answer, I should say, is that it's, I see God and I know God and understand God through Jesus Christ. That's that's how I can best answer right. that. You know, appreciate that. Uh, second question is a little more personal. What is God doing in your life right now? What is the Holy Spirit putting on your heart to speak to yourself? Um, what is He changing in your life, or what is He calling you right now to tell the people of God? The the congregants in your church well and that again is another good question you've got some good questions i really appreciate that i admire that a lot too um right now where we're at in this season of life that we're in especially as americans i would hope and pray that every pastor or priest has a now a word for their congregation obviously it needs to be a word of encouragement because a lot of people are dealing with a lot of fears Mm. whether it's the pandemic whether it's the racial uh, tension that's going on right now with the political season that's coming up. Um, Again, at at 58 years of age, even I have never experienced a season in this country that was so tumultuous. Mm. You know, maybe the thing close, maybe the Vietnam era might have been close, but even, I don't think, I mean, I was alive then. um, So whether it was Vietnam, whether it was 9-11. Um, we're at a place right now where we need to hear from God. God, So I'm, I'm in that place. God, what are, you, what are you saying? And I'll be honest, I don't have the answer right now other than just keeping my eyes fixed and focused on Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I'm, I'm, I'm seeking the Lord right now for, for a clear word, for a now word, that I can stand on for sure. But aside from that, I'm keeping my eyes on the Lord. I'm standing on the Word of God. Um, I'm not wavering in my faith whatsoever. I just don't have a lot of clarity in right now what, yeah. you know, what uh, what I need to be uh, sharing with the congregation other than what I already know to do. Yeah. You know, your typical pastoral kind of encouragement and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I do believe that we're at a place that every pastor, every priest, you know, every denominational leader, um, I think the Catholic Church needs a now word from the Pope. I think I think every denominational leader uh, needs to give a word to their denomination. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it needs to be a word of encouragement. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I, I'm real concerned with what I see right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. Well, this last question. Um, I just want to take advantage of the opportunity I have here speaking with you 
um, and speaking with other people who uh, want to join me in this journey of podcast, um, it's really a selfish question. I call it my selfish question, but what, if any, advice do you have for me as I work to become a pastor? Another good question. <laughs> you've done your homework or preparate, you've done some good preparation. You know, I've got a list of books that I would love to write at some point. Hope I can get to doing most of them. One of them deals with this exact question. Uh, you know, answering certain questions that young pastors would have. Because um, I've gone through it. I've been through it. Um, uh, and I think a lot of the success that I think we've had as a rural si- a, a, a church in a rural county. Um, I, I think that 200 members is pretty successful for a rural county in the South, for sure. Um, that's that's not your typical Southern traditional church, you know, like Baptist or Methodist. Mm-hmm. Um, but the church I got saved in, two years after I got saved, I mean, just a terrible situation. Um, you know, I don't want to get into all the details, but I've lived through uh, the pastor, uh, a pastoral situation, where pa- you know, pastor sins, he falls, church goes into chaos, people take sides. I've seen, I've seen, I've seen that happen in church. I've lived through that. So one thing I will say to this, if I was ever going to, as a pastor, do something stupid, I'd quit before I do it <laughs> to to in order to not to drag everybody through that mess. Yeah. And I note now if if I'm ever ever in a situation like that, I I, I need to get counseling. I need to get help before I even get there. Yeah. Uh, and thank God that's not even ever been remotely close to the situation. But but going through that, I learned a whole lot. So I brought that into my you know where I'm at today and how, when I started the church. Um. I I. I, I I've seen a lot and experienced a lot for someone who didn't go to seminary to prepare to be a pastor. Yeah. So I would, to, to, in short, I would say is, yes, I, any book where someone, a book that's written about their experience in starting out in ministry and the years of being in ministry, I think that'd be tremendously helpful because experience is, even though you don't have it yet, you are going to get it and you're going to have to learn but here's the wisdom. The wisdom is is that you learn from others' experiences. Mm-hmm. So if you're ever reading any books, any any essays, any works, whatever, um, on ministry, anytime it deals with experience, take it seriously to heart, yeah. and put it into practice because you'll need to you'll need to draw from that at some point. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Daryl Sembeck of Ascension Life Church. I really appreciate you joining me today. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, this has been an amazing conversation. I thank you for being, being vulnerable and for being very open about your, your faith journey and where you are today. And I wish you all the best of luck. Drew, thank you so much. I've enjoyed this. You've, you've actually prompted me to think about a number of things <laughs> in a serious and good way. So thank you. Well, good. My, my pleasure. Thanks once again. And uh, we'll see you next time on Theo Now.